Hey everybody, I'm Michelle and this is the Bookkeeping with a Purpose podcast where we discuss important topics related to today's church finance office and or your bookkeeping business. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about a hot topic for many churches and pastors and that is love offerings. How totally fun does that sound? (laughs) If you're like most churches or any churches really, there's some confusion about whether or not love offerings are actually taxable income to the ministers or to employees or whoever you give them to. And today we are going to settle this out. We're going to go to tax court, see what they have to say. So hang on. Let's get ready to have some fun. But first, I'm going to read a review from Miss Tracy Hoff, and she says, Such needed info. Thank you so much for sharing on this topic. I do not like bookkeeping, (laughs) so love that all I need to do is listen in here to get what I need. I look forward to more. I love your podcast art, too. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Tracy. That is wonderful. And um, let's get into today's episode. Hello, dear friend, and welcome to the Bookkeeping with a Purpose podcast. My name is Michelle Brown, and I am an enrolled agent and church finance consultant, and I love all things Jesus, church finances, business, and books. In this podcast, we will discuss the ins and outs of church finances and clergy taxes, along with how to serve the local church as a staff member, volunteer, or through your bookkeeping business, all while keeping Jesus at the center of everything you do. So grab your notebook and pen to take some notes because we're going to learn all about church bookkeeping, payroll, compensation, and tax compliance. And I'll probably throw in an occasional episode on faith and mindset work too. So if this sounds like fun to you, then come on, let's get ready to learn. Welcome to episode number 26 of the podcast. This episode is titled Love Offerings, Taxable Income or a Gift. And as you know, I believe that note takers are history makers and there is definitely some things in here you will want to take notes on. So let's get started. And here's our quote to get us off on a good uh, thing here. It is from Albert Einstein. He says, it is every man's obligation to put back into the world at least the equivalent of what he takes out of it. I thought that was very good. Now let's dig into today's episode. Churches sometimes collect love offerings from the congregation for a pastor, a visiting minister, a volunteer, or a staff member in recognition of services rendered. And I want you to remember that phrase, in recognition of services rendered, okay? There's really a lot of confusion over this topic, um, so much so that pastors from both large and small churches have been prosecuted and convicted of tax evasion over unreported love offerings. When I do my trainings um, throughout and even in our Facebook community, one of the most common questions is about love offerings. And it's also one of the most heated discussions that I've had in classes when I've done my live classes is on love offerings. So we're going to see what tax court has to say, which is the ultimate authority on this, okay? So one of the most interesting cases that I have found was Felton versus the commissioner. This is tax court memo 2018-168. So the U.S. tax court held that Reverend Wayne R. Felton of Holy Christian Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, received taxable compensation from members of his congregation rather than personal gifts despite the congregation's and the contributions designation as gifts, okay? So here are the facts that are stated in here. And this was, this just blew my mind. I had never heard of this. So that's why I thought that you would find this interesting. So he founded this church in uh, 2000 and the church grew in numbers and finances. 
and they decided to go to a color-coded envelope system. Okay, again, I've never heard of this. Maybe you do that, that's fine hunky-dory, but the only time I've ever heard of this is in this tax court case. So members were provided different colored envelopes for their donations. They got a white envelope, which they could be, they could designate the money in the envelope as a tithe, an offering, a pledge, pastoral, or other. They were given gold envelopes for special programs and retreats. And all the amounts collected in both these envelopes were included in the donor's annual contribution statements. Okay, so that means that whatever they put in there, they got credit for at the end of the year on the state on the statement. So Felton did not receive a salary, but he was paid, you ready for this? The amounts that were designated pastoral from the white envelopes. Okay, so whatever was in a white envelope that had pastoral written on it, that's the amount of money he received. So during the tax years at issue, I think he was audited for like 2008 and 2009. Um, the church also provided members with blue envelopes. Okay, so we got white envelopes, we got gold envelopes, and now we have blue envelopes. The blue envelopes were labeled pastoral gift in which they made donations. These were given unopened to the minister and the amounts were not reported in the donor's contribution statements, okay? So they didn't get the tax deduction for it. The church has no idea how much was in the envelopes. They just, if it's a blue envelope, they gave it straight to the pastor. Mr. Felton and his wife did their own tax returns and they reported as taxable wages about 40 grand each year. And this was the amount that was designated pastoral from the white envelopes, all right? And then they had some separate income that they reported. Um, and they also did an annual parsonage allowance from the church, but they did not include, you ready? In 2008, $258,000 from the blue envelopes. <laughs> And in 2009, they received $234,826 from the blue envelopes. <laughs> okay, seriously, people, how? Okay, so anyways, the IRS examined the returns, and they determined a deficiency, obviously, taking the position that the latter amounts, the $258,000 and the $234,000, were actually compensation. Here's the deal. Where did they turn to? How did they decide this? You got to go to the Internal Revenue Code or the IRC. Okay, Section 102A says, and I quote, gross income does not include the value of property acquired by gift, bequest, device, or inheritance. Okay, so this is where the confusion comes in. It says right here, it's like, hey, it's a gift. You know, they put it on here. It was a pastoral gift. I don't have to report it as income. However, even though the members of the church are given a love offering as a gift, the IRS says it's taxable because in the same section, section 102, but paragraph C, and then number one, it says that any amount transferred by or for an employer to or for the benefit of an employee shall be treated as gross income. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Any amount transferred by or for an employer to or for the benefit of an employee shall be treated as gross income. So basically that means regardless of who you work for, if you get money from your employer, it is taxable income. 
a gift proceeds from a detached and disinterested generosity. So that's how they determine, and that was from a different case, uh, Duberstein 363 US 278. The Feltons said, hey, these blue envelope donations were gift by members, not the employer, because the church didn't open the envelopes. They have no idea how much money was in the envelopes. Th therefore, it's excludable under the section. The IRS, however, says the amounts were not gifts and they were includable in income under Section 61A of the Internal Revenue Code. <laughs> okay, you gotta love the IRC. Section 61A of the Internal Revenue Code defines gross income as income from whatever source derived, including, but not limited to, compensation for services, including fees, commissions, fringe benefits, and similar items. So here's the deal. Remember when I said back at the beginning that you need to remember that in recognition of services rendered, okay, the money went in the blue envelopes because he was their pastor, because of the work that he was doing, okay? So that makes it compensation for services and similar items. So the tax court noted that in previous cases, donations labels have not been held um, determinative big old fancy word, of donor's intents. For example, there was a court case back in 1954 where donations that were called honoraria, remember, they, sometimes churches still use that phrase, or salary were found to be gifts to a minister who was retiring. The Third Circuit Court held that these donations were motivated by love and affection and that the minister had been well compensated in the past and that he was not expected to perform future services. Here's the key on that one. The minister was retiring. He had received, you know, plenty of compensation in the past. And once he retired, he was not expected to come back. Okay, so he wasn't being paid compensation for services because he would no longer be providing services. So this one is a case from 1954. But on the other hand, tax court said in 1991 in Banks versus Commissioner that donations collected on regularly scheduled special occasions and given to a minister as gifts were held to be compensation in part because they were pursuant to a highly structured program. So we're gonna break this down. There is a four factor test that the tax court uses to determine objectively as much as they can the donor's intent. The first thing that they used was whether the donations were provided in exchange for services. So basically what that means, it cannot be for a service performed. Obviously in this case, it was. They put the money in the envelopes, to thank him for being their minister. He didn't get a check mark on that one. That one was not a good one. The next one is whether the minister or other authorities requested the donations. That means it cannot be solicited. Um, looked up the definition in Merriam-Webster's dictionary because that's the one I still trust. And solicited means to approach with a request or plea um, or to urge strongly. All right, the third factor that they use is whether the donations were part of a routine, a highly structured program and given by individual church members or the congregation as a whole. In other words, it must be spontaneous in nature. If you look up the definition of spontaneous, it means developing or occurring without apparent external influence, force, care, or treatment. 
And then the last factor they looked at is whether the minister received a separate salary from the church, and if so, its amount in relation to the donation. See what the tax court figured out. So the first factor pointed toward considering the donations as income, okay? Felton was not retiring like the minister in the, the case mentioned earlier, and the donors understood that their contributions would help allow him to continue to provide them with intangible religious benefits, all right? So the first one, he didn't pass the first test. However, the second one, the court decided that Felton and the other church officials did not solicit the donations and I thought this was an interesting they said because the members had to ask for a blue envelope which the court said pointed toward a gift treatment okay so he got a check mark for that one now unlike banks where the donations were made on regular special occasions by the entire church membership acting together these donations were made by individual members throughout the two years just whenever they happened to ask for them but the blue envelopes and their treatment constituted a system that made a structured program. The court found indicating income treatment or taxable income. It also suggested that they were income, that the blue envelope total amounts each year were high in relation to the reported compensation. Remember, he only reported 40 grand, okay, in compensation, and yet he ended up like 250 grand in these blue envelopes. So that was more than double his combined parsonage allowance and the white envelope totals that he had received. He didn't pass that one either. Out of the four, he failed the first one because it was money for a service performed. They did determine that it was not solicited because it was on a voluntary and the people had to ask for the blue envelopes. But it was part of a structured program. He didn't pass that one. And obviously the amount received in the blue envelopes was way, way higher than what he reported on the white envelopes. So he didn't pass that one. He failed three out of the four tests. Having found for the IRS, the court also gave him an accuracy related penalty, which people can be insanely expensive. That can cost you more than anything. I think that's like up to it's a higher, much higher percentage. I'm not even going to try to guess and my mind's going blank right now. So although the law may not be clear cut in such instances, they had the opportunity to provide any case law that was to their favor. They didn't do it. There was no evidence in the record whatsoever to show that they knew of any such authoritative sites or any other court cases demonstrating that they had the correct tax liability. So needless to say, they got hefty fines and they were not happy campers when all this was said and done. Some people try to get around the tax law by making love offerings directly from the donor to the minister or to the church employee so that they would generally be non-taxable recipient. In my group, I will have people that say, you get around this by don't run it through the church, just give them to it directly. All right. And yeah, you can do that. But when you do that, it's not just taking the responsibility away from the church. It is it still puts the full responsibility of the minister to report that income on his Schedule C of his Form 1040. Because seriously, folks, it's really hard to say that a donation to your minister or other staff member is given without any regard at all to your appreciation for the work or service that they provide to you or your family through the church. And that's the deal is you have to be able to separate 
is it for services rendered is it for in relation to the services that they're providing to you or is it truly a gift and I just don't see how you can do that in most cases. So it definitely matters that every church and pastor knows when a love offering is taxable and when it is not. And basically we're gonna sum all this up and wrap it up in a pretty bow and say, if a church takes up a collection or a love offering specifically for one of its pastors or church employees, it is reportable as taxable income on Form W-2. And if the recipient's not a church employee, like if you have an interim pastor that you're issuing a 1099 to, or you have a traveling evangelist that's coming through, or you've got someone that's doing a week-long revival for you, and you know that they're going to be receiving over $600 in income, those love offerings are to be reported on Form 1099 NEC. And I will always tell you, get that Form W-9 filled out and signed and turned back in before you give them the first dollar because it's always easier to get it ahead of time than trying to chase them down after you've already given them money. It is what it is, folks. We may not like it, but tax code is what, and as you can tell from this tax court case that I just gave you, you are gonna get caught. And unfortunately, so many people think, well, if I don't get caught, what's it matter? Or the chances of getting audited, if I don't tell anybody, nobody's gonna know. First and foremost, God Almighty knows. He knows, and as a child of God, and especially as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are held accountable to a higher standard, and you want to be on the up and up. Whether you agree with the government or not, whether you agree with paying taxes or not, you live in the United States of America, you earn an income, and Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. That's my mini sermon for the day. <laughs> Be sure to tune in next time for more valuable insights for your church finance office and or bookkeeping business. And until next time, my friend, let's all strive to make an impact and not just an income because there's more to life than money. Take care and remember to always look your best, do your best and be your best. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you learned something new or were inspired in any way, please do me a huge Omongo favor and leave me a fantastic five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people to find the show and then share this episode with someone who you think it could help. Until next time, my friend, be blessed.